Good morning, guys. Uh, my name is Cole, and I am a part of the Fellows program here at Grace. And so anyways, a couple summers ago, I got to go on a five-week study abroad in Germany. And while I was in Germany, the World Cup was going on. Uh, if you don't know what the World Cup is, uh, it's a worldwide soccer tournament that is basically far and away the biggest sporting event in the entire world. And so uh, me and my group uh, were so excited to be over there while the World Cup's going on, uh, because especially for Germany, a country that loves soccer, that is just obsessed with soccer, uh, we were so pumped to be a, a part of just this magnitude, the, this thing uh, that was just so big, uh, this historical moment. And so, uh, anyways, that year, Germany's got a great team. Uh, they make it all the way to the World Cup final. This is 2014. And the city that we were staying in, uh, they have a huge watch party to watch the final. And so it's at this park, and thousands and thousands and thousands of people come to this park uh, to watch the game. They have this huge screen laid out. And so our group, uh, we get all decked out in our Germany jerseys and stuff, and we go uh, to watch the final with all these crazy Germans. And so, anyways, it's a great game. Uh, At the end of regulation, it's tied. They go to overtime. And with a couple minutes left, uh, Germany scores. They take the lead, and a few minutes later, they win the World Cup. And as they won the World Cup, at this park, just madness ensues. People are like throwing their shirts off, swinging them around. Everyone's hugging each other. I'm like hugging random German guys I've never met before. It's like, yeah, go Germany, man. I love you. And uh, everyone's dancing, going nuts. And then instantly, people run to the streets of this city. The whole entire city shuts down, and the streets are just flooded with people. And the entire night, people are just dancing, going crazy. Here's a little bit of kind of an example of what was going on. Like half the people had like flare guns and were shooting them in the sky. It, it was ridiculous. People were climbing, climbing up on light poles, dancing. And this one guy, uh, he was like on top of this like light structure. And he's like looking down at me. He's like, come on, come on, come on. In. I'm like, okay, yeah, go Germany. So I like climb up on this thing and we're like dancing there for a couple minutes. And it was great. It was awesome. And far and away, the best night of our trip. Everyone loved it. Here's another little picture. That's me. Uh, uh, that's me there. Had the little German flag, eye black, because, you know, it's a good look. And, uh, but anyways, it was the best night of our trip. And the reason that I bring that story up this morning is because there's something about us that, that loves being a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. Um, there's something about us that wants to be a part of something that's world-changing. There's something about us that wants to be a part of history and be a part of something huge. And so the question that I have for us this morning is, what would it look like for us to step out of life of comfort, step out of life that's safe, and step in to a life lived for God's purposes, and step in to the God of the universe's grand unfolding story? Uh, So this summer, we've been doing character studies, We've been looking at men and women in the Bible. We're examining their relationship with the Lord, looking at what God did in their life. We're looking at their victories. We're looking at their failures um, and seeing how, what these men and women who have gone before, seeing what they've done and how they did it can influence how we live um, and our affections and how it can influence our desires in our current day and age so that we can live for Christ and Christ alone. And so this morning... Uh, We're looking at a guy named Stephen. 
And Stephen, you may have heard of him, you may not have. He was an ordinary guy. Not the most popular guy. Uh, not exactly the guy you would stand in line for hours and hours to get his autograph. Not, you know, number one in Christian jersey sales or anything like that. But we're going to see about Stephen that is so admirable and so worthy of our, of our time this morning is that Stephen had a life goal that his entire life revolved around. And that was simply that Stephen wanted to know God deeply and make God known to the world around him. He wanted to know God deeply and make him known to the world around him. Um, What Stephen um, is also known for is actually being the very first Christian martyr, the very first person to die for the gospel, the very first person to give his life up for the good news of Jesus. And this morning is as we look at the way that he lived his life and as we look at, more specifically, the way that he died, we'll see what it looks like to live a life that is well-lived, to see what it's like to live a lasting life, to see what it looks like to live the best life, a life that's sold out for knowing God and making God known to the world. And so where we first see Stephen is in Acts chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. If not, we'll have the verses up on the screen. So kind of the context of, um, of where we meet Stephen is Jesus has died, he's risen, and he's ascended. And now the church is exploding. Um, this message, this gospel message of Jesus dying on the cross for the forgiveness of sins and rising so that we might have a relationship and eternal life with him. This message is exploding. Thousands of people are coming to believe. And so look with me in um, verse 3, chapter 6, verse 3. It says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty, which we'll go into later. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Skip down to verse 7. It says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. There's a couple words I want to point out to you. Notice when they describe Stephen, it says he's a man full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace. Stephen lived a full life life. He was filled to the brim in his faith. He was filled with Jesus Christ. Jesus, his faith in Christ was what permeated throughout his entire body. Now look uh, with me in verse, um, starting in verse 9. It says, then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen and of the Cyrenians um, and and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth, of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. 
So Stephen, being full of faith, being full of the Spirit, he's out, he's preaching the gospel, and these people accuse him. These false witnesses come and accuse him of blasphemy, and they throw him before the high priest so that he can be put on trial and so that they can ultimately kill Stephen. Um, And I want to look at Stephen's response to this. Stephen is at this moment where he's being pressed, and what he's filled with is going to be exposed. And so Stephen's response to this, we're actually not going to look at the whole thing, um, but starting in in, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, and going all the way through the first 50 verses, Stephen gives one of the most brilliant sermons in all of history. Stephen, he outlines the entire Old Testament. He goes, starting back with Abraham uh, and discussing people um, like Joseph and Moses, he discusses how even though Israel continually rejected God, even though they continually rejected God's messengers, God was faithful through it all to redeem them, offer them salvation, which ultimately culminated in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. As you go home this afternoon, um, I would definitely recommend you reading this sermon. Uh, We just don't have time to cover it all, Uh, especially if you want to learn a little bit about the Old Testament. It's a great summary of it. So uh, when you get home this afternoon, I would recommend doing that. Um, What I want us to notice about Stephen is that at this moment when he's pressed, uh, when he's on trial, and these people want to kill him, uh, who are falsely accusing him, what pours out of him is scripture. What pours out of him is scripture. He's so filled with God's words, he spends time meditating on his scriptures day and night, that he fills himself up with scripture, that at this moment when he's pressed, you see what he's filled with, and that's what pours out of Stephen. And so the reality is we're all, we're all going to be filled with something. We all, you know, we've all got that kind of one thing that's on the throne of our lives. We've got that one thing that we're all willing to move heaven and earth for. So for some of you, uh, starting about a week ago, maybe it's Pokemon Go. Got to catch them all, man, you know. Um, and you'll move traffic. You'll hop fences. You'll cause wrecks um, to catch the most Pokemon. Got to catch them all, you know. For some of you, maybe it's a relationship, and you, and you center everything in your life around wanting to please him or to please her, or you make your Facebook look a certain way, or you post this picture on Instagram, so maybe he'll like you a little bit more, maybe she'll like you a little bit more. For some of you, maybe it's, it's your resume, and you've got to be a quadruple major, being 32 different organizations, take 25 hours a semester uh, so that you can get this internship, get this job. And you move everything you can to accomplish that. Uh, for some of us, myself included, this is what it is for me, is living for other people's approval. You kind of wire everything you do around wanting to look good in front of other people. So my question this morning is, what are you filled with? What's on the throne of your life? Um, and do you know this God? Do you know him deeply and intimately? Do you spend time meditating on his word? Do you let his scriptures, his truths, his promises sink in to every part of you? So moving on in Stephen's story, we're going to see that things go south pretty quickly after he preaches this sermon. Uh, And he's going to be face to face with death. Um, Look with me at the end of chapter 7, starting in verse 54. What we're going to notice here about Stephen is that um, at this moment where he's going to be face-to-face with death. He doesn't panic. 
He doesn't freak out, but he looks up to the Lord because he knows him. Starting verse, verse 54, it says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, being Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So Stephen, he's face-to-face with death, uh, and he's about to be stoned. And if you don't know what being stoned is, it's basically where people line up and throw rocks at you until you die. Horrible. Horrible. Um, But notice what he does. He doesn't freak out. He doesn't panic. He doesn't look to himself. He doesn't look to others. He doesn't take back this, uh, this beautiful sermon that he, that he just gave. He doesn't renounce his faith in Christ or anything like that. But instead, he gazes into heaven and sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stephen, when he's pressed, when he's facing death, he says, hey, I'm dying for a worthy cause. And even though, even though these circumstances aren't ideal, even though I'm having people throw rocks at me till I'm going to die, I'm okay because I know him. These circumstances around me, they begin to lessen. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of a basketball player named Isaiah Thomas. Uh, he played in the 80s and early 90s, and uh, he played for a team uh, for the Detroit Pistons. And in 19, 1988, uh, the Pistons make it all the way to the NBA Finals. Uh, They play a best-of-seven-game series, and they're in game six with the opportunity to win it all and close out the Lakers. Um, And and Isaiah Thomas, who's at the peak of his career in this point, um, goes down with an ankle injury, and he's the Pistons' best player. Goes down in the third quarter with an ankle injury, um, and I've got a video um, that I want you all to watch of how he responds. Took a 3-2 lead back to L.A. for game six needing just one more win to be champions. Isaiah Thomas is hurt down on the court underneath the basket. I couldn't tell what happened. Isaiah started to get up. He got up and then went down on the floor. It's a fast break situation. I stepped on Michael Cooper's ankle, turned my ankle, and pain shot through my body that I had never felt before. Mike Abdenauer, the trainer, is with him, and this one is a tough one. He can't put any weight on this thing. It's like, okay, now what do we do? So his... Thomas with the looper scores. Yeah, but he's lifting. Does the play right now. Thomas off balance. Basket counts in a foul as he goes into the first row and he is still looking. There has not been another performance like Isaiah Thomas. Playing on one ankle and giving them the business. Thomas goes for three and hits it. What a third quarter for Isaiah Thomas. I don't know what came over him. He just hypnotized himself. I just can't imagine one player being able to carry a team in a game that means so much. He's hobbling, he's limping, and not only is he killing us, but he's inspiring them. We want it! Two on one, Thomas goes up. And Isaiah Thomas having an incredible period. He is just showing so much heart, determination. 
got to be one of the top five offensive performances that there ever was. 25 points in the third quarter. It's still a finals record. I couldn't miss. People ask me to this day, how did I do it? I don't know. Isaiah's will will carry him to heights that nobody would ever imagine. That's what made him so great. All right. I, I love this video. And the reason I love uh, looking at this story is because for Isaiah, it, it, it wasn't even a question of whether he would come back in. You know, he was so zoned in, so, um, yeah, locked in to winning this title, so focused on winning a championship for his team that an ankle so swollen he, can't, he can barely put his shoe on, no biggie. Running around on one leg, dropping 25 points, no biggie, nothing. And so should it be with our relationship with Christ. It should be so, I want us to be so zoned in, so focused on him that these hardships we face, our problems, our pains, they become nothing. Because we're so locked in to this God who loves us deeply. A real life example of this um, about a month and a half ago, I was in Greece um, on one of our summer missions, and one afternoon, um, I got called over to our leader's house, and he sits me down on his couch, and he says, Cole, we just got word from back home that your father has passed away, died of a heart attack, just like that, best dad ever, guy I was closest with in this world, Gone. And so instantly, I, I figure out a way to get back home. So I catch a flight uh, from where we were to Athens. I fly from Athens to Frankfurt, Germany. Then I fly from Frankfurt to Dallas and from Dallas to Houston. Um, and I make it all the way back to Dallas. And I'm sitting on my plane in Dallas, about to leave to go to Houston. It starts pouring down rain. Flight gets delayed. And it gets delayed. And it gets delayed. And it gets delayed. So I'm in the Dallas airport for eight hours. At this point, I've been traveling for about 30 hours, um, and I'm a wreck. I'm covered in tears. I'm angry. I'm tired. I'm upset at this unbelievably low point. And at that moment, I decide, hey, I'm going to go uh, find this little corner uh, where no one else is, and, and I start to pray. I say, God, this sucks. I'm tired. I'm upset. I miss dad. I'm a wreck. But I know that you're good, you're faithful, and you're bigger than all of this. And in that moment, thoughts of the Lord started to rush into my mind and into my heart, and I realized my world is crumbling all around me, but I'm okay because I know him I belong to him, and he's doing something bigger. My next point about Stephen is this, is that as he looks upon Christ, as he gazes on Jesus, as he becomes filled with Christ, his desire is to make God known to the world around him. And as he gazes on Christ, God calls him to something bigger than living for himself. God compels him to go out into the world and live a life that's uncomfortable for God's purposes. 
We see this in a couple ways with Stephen. Um, look back at um, chapter 6, um, starting in verse 1. We're going to see that, that Stephen, as he looks upon Christ, is compelled to live a life that's sold out for others. Um, he's going to live a life of wanting to bring blessings to people because he's been blessed in Christ. And so, um, look with me, starting in verse 1. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Uh, And the twelve, that's the apostles, uh, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, uh, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen. And so, uh, what happens here is the church is, is exploding. It's, 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 you know, like we mentioned earlier, it's blowing up, and, but there starts to be this, this little internal conflict. Um, you have the Hebrews and you have the Hellenists who are both part of the church, but they come from, from different backgrounds. They come from different classes, and these, these Hellenistic widows, uh, when they come together for the daily distribution of food, are being neglected. So the apostles all get together and say, you know, we, this, is a, this is an issue that we really care about, but uh, we have other duties. We've got to be out preaching the gospel. And so we need someone to step up and take care of this issue for us. And so they pick Stephen. And so Stephen, he steps in to this, to this situation where, where people are being neglected, where these Hellenistic widows are being neglected, and he makes sure they're being taken care of. He steps in and he meets their needs. That's the first thing I want us to see about Stephen, is that he meets the practical needs of those around him. He sees those who are being neglected, and he steps in and fixes it. So a good friend of mine, uh, for some reason or another, he loves peeps. Y'all know what peeps are? The little, like, pink or, yeah, uh, little pink or yellow, like, marshmallow bunnies. And, you know, whenever he would have a bad day, he would bomb a test or be going through a uh, little rough patch or stressful situation, we would bring him a box of peeps, and he would be good to go. <laughs> he, would, he would eat them down in, like, ten minutes and, you know, be like, all right, life's good, you know? Um, I don't know why I like him, but whatever. Um, you know, when my dad passed, um, we had tons of people bringing us food and writing us nice letters and bringing us drinks, whatever we needed. Um, and um, yeah, they stepped in to this moment where we were going through a rough patch, where we were going through a tough point. And these people, showing the kindness of the Lord, stepped into our lives and met our needs. We got like lasagna uh, like eight days in a row. Uh, we got brownies for like three weeks straight. So, you know, the kindness of the Lord through carbs. It was great. Uh, and for us, I mean, it was all those lasagnas, all those brownies, it was a game changer for us. Um, it really um, brought us peace and joy in a, in a, in a tough point. And so my question for y'all is, who is someone in your life that's hurting? or down, or going through a rough patch, that you can help meet their needs. Something as simple as bringing them a box of peeps, or a ready-made lasagna. Or what's an injustice in this world that you see going on that you can play a part in fixing? Next thing I want us to notice about Stephen 
is that not only does he meet the practical needs of those around him, but he meets their ultimate need. And that's their need for a savior, their need for a relationship with Christ. He's not just concerned with meeting their practical needs, but as Stephen is filled with the spirit and gazes upon Christ, he's compelled to to look out at a world that is drowning in sin, that is dying in sin, and step into that brokenness and share the message of life with them. Share a message with them that's going to satisfy them. We see that um, in his sermon that he gives in chapter 7, but we also see it um, at the end of chapter 7 when he does this, even while he's being stoned. Uh, Look with me, chapter 7, verse 59. Stephen's being stoned, and it it says, As they were stoning Stephen, Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Who does that sound a lot like? Sounds like Christ on the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Even while people are literally throwing rocks at him, he's saying, Lord Christ, receive my spirit. And then he goes on and says, And falling to his knees, Stephen cried out with a loud voice, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Who does that sound like? Christ on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even as people... Even Stephen is at the, the ultimate low, about to face death. He says, Lord, forgive them, because he's so compelled by the gospel of Christ. Stephen realizes that as he presses into the Lord, he's compelled to live for a purpose bigger than himself. He says, God, I'm dying for a worthy cause. I'm dying for your purposes, and that's okay. And so you may be thinking to yourself, you know, Cole, uh, this story is great and all, but I'm no Stephen. Uh, I'm no superhero Christian. Um, you know, God can't use my life to accomplish major things. Um, God can't use me for a huge purpose. I mean, technically he can, but he probably won't choose me, you know. Well, let me first say that, that that is a lie that we so often buy into, that God cannot accomplish big things in our life i got a story for y'all. So uh, in the mid-1800s, uh, there's a guy named Ed Kimball. Um, now, Ed was just a regular guy, and he taught a Sunday school class, and the Sunday school class he taught was a bunch of rowdy boys. And he was getting at a point where he didn't really want to do it anymore. He was like, I, you know, I, nothing's working, you know, I can't get anything out of these kids, and I, I just don't know if it's worth it anymore. So one day... Ed walks into a shoe store, and in that shoe store is one of his kid, one of his Sunday school kids is working. This kid's name is Dwight Moody, and they start talking, and uh, and Ed um, tells Dwight about how much God loves him. And at that moment, in that shoe store, Dwight comes to believe the gospel. Dwight Moody goes on to become this incredible evangelist, reaches thousands of people with the gospel, and one of the people Dwight led to the Lord. Um, was a guy named Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur Chapman goes on to become a great preacher, um, leads many people to the Lord, and one of the people he led to the Lord was a guy named Mordecai Ham. Now Mordecai um, grows up, becomes a preacher as well, and uh, one day he has a speaking engagement in Charlotte, North Carolina. And this young man uh, comes to this conference and hears Mordecai speak. Um, he speaks... Uh, and at this conference, uh, Mordecai proclaims the gospel, and, and this young man comes to believe. And that young man, uh, who heard the gospel from Mordecai Ham, 
uh, was Billy Graham. Billy Graham, if you don't know who that is, preached the gospel to more people than anyone else in the course of human history. Do you think Ed Kimball, when he walked into that shoe store, had any idea what God was doing? God can accomplish major, major things for his sake in your life. If you go back to Acts 7, um, I love that you get a glimpse into Jesus' response to this life poured out for him by Stephen. Uh, It says, "But, But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Jesus stands. Everywhere else in the New Testament where you see Jesus referenced being at the right hand of God, he's seated. But he sees what Stephen is doing and he stands. And it's as if he's clapping for Stephen. Well done, Stephen. Great job. Great job. And welcome home what it would be like to hear those words from Christ. That's what I want, and that's what I want each of y'all to want. And so as we start to close, um, my question for y'all is, what is holding y'all back from living a life that's poured out for Christ? What's holding you back from selling out for the Lord and living a life um, not of comfort, not of safety, not of security, but a life poured out for his purposes? Who's someone in your life that needs to hear this message of life and forgiveness? Your roommate, coworker, um, classmate. Who's someone you can share Christ with? And as we leave this place um, with the goal of knowing God and making him known to the world, uh, my prayer is that we would look to the ultimate example of someone who lived for a purpose bigger than himself. Um, And that's Jesus. Philippians 2 says, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus willingly chose to step out of heaven, um, to step out of these eternal praises, to step out of thousands and thousands of angels worshiping him in perfection, to take on flesh, to come and die for the forgiveness of our sins and rose so that we might have a relationship and eternal life with him. Father, thank you um, for this morning. Um, and God, as, as, as we go out from this place, may we be compelled by the life of Stephen. We see a life that is poured out for your purposes, a life that is sold out for knowing you and making you known to the world. Father, we love you, and we thank you. Through Christ we pray all these things. Amen.